0: Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Now, I'm, I'm working on an episode about um, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it's meaning both inside, well, our Eastern Border territories and otherwise, because I've uh, I've gotten some comments that I should be making more analytical, analytical episodes, and I'll be on to that. Except, you know, right now, I still feel quite attached to the war. But I'm working on it, and, and I'm listening to you, so don't you worry about that. And uh, we also have an episode coming in very soon with the Secret Police podcast. He, he, he just finished his whole series of Russian secret services, secret police things, and we did a bit, of, bit more of a philosophical discussion on that. So that's upcoming very soon as well. What I'd like to say today is that, um, again, we have a tragedy in Israel, a full-scale war, so to speak, as they call it, and it's a bit of a mess what's happening here. Russian mainstream propaganda are now celebrating this whole thing. Ahmed Dusmanov, a Russian fighter, I don't think he's MMA, maybe he is. He's the Olympic champion in one of those grappling styles. He uh, celebrated the death of Jews, which is funny since you can since you kind of realize that they were all for denazification of Ukraine back when. However, there are a lot of people, both in Ukraine and outside and everywhere else who are just saying that Russia has somehow coordinated this whole thing. Mostly Russian opposition journalists. By the way, we'll get to them as well later on. We have a... I have a weird debate to comment on today. But, um... Yeah, I'd like to put this one to rest. Uh, Putin might do many things, but organizing Hamas attacks... uh, He benefits from them, but I don't think he really did this specific one. See, the thing is... They did have a fun little activities around with, with, um, with Hamas and with Taliban and everything. For one, Russia does not recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization, no matter what they have said before and everything. And uh, they've, been, they've been in official visits to Moscow. They have been working together. But I really don't exactly know how, how close they are, really. Russia was involved in negotiations in the Middle East, uh, by the way, uh, trying to get itself sorted out. And, But they weren't as close. And who knows how they're feeling about all the situation, because, well, Russia could benefit, but I highly doubt Russia did this at this point. Certainly, there could be some Russian money involved into this matter. Russia could have sold some weapons, but not because of this attack, just because that's what just they they basically do. And well, we shouldn't be taking all this way too lightly. But should be taken seriously, however, is that um, an unprecedented number, as reported by United Twenty Four Media, number of freight cars, at least seventy three, were report, were recorded at a railway facility in the city of Tumangan near the North Korean Russian border. So there is movement happening there as well. This might be like South, like North Korea has started to supply Russia with weapons and ammunition. And then, you know, quite probably Russia has just sold it to Hamas because someone needs to work with them. I mean, with Russia at this point, which is a bit iffy. But currently, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mess. And just to finish this one up, because I really don't feel like I have the capacity and the skills needed to talk a lot about this whole Israel situation... Well, we have uh, thankfully our friend of Igor Girkin, Maxim Kalashnikov, who decided to chime in about this whole situation. And he also comments about how the Russian propaganda are reporting all this stuff and what's going on there. Quote The Russian Federation, and this is from Maxim Kalashnikov, is not a subject in the current circle of global chaos. Propaganda can shout as much as it wants about a masterly geopolitical game, but in reality, Moscow is like a sliver of events. Yes, of course, the West will be distracted from Ukraine for some time. Yes, some cream of the crop will come from rising world oil prices. Until this rise sends the global economy into a severe recession. But, first, the Russian Federation is completely unprepared for the impact of a global economic downturn, if it happens due to rising energy prices and depression in the American economy. Russian budget revenues will fall sharply. But industrialization, meaning the ability to live not only from raw materials, has not been carried out since 2000. The entire economic policy of the state is aimed at strangling non-resource production. The release of weapons is an exception, but you can't go far with one weapon. With weapons alone, that is. In 1941, we were even more ready for testing. At least they managed to create a powerful industrial base and personnel. Now, this is not the case, and demographically we have a complete Mariana Trench. The management caterers, the organizers of the failures, are in place plus the brewing crisis with migrants which could explode in the face of, a falling, of falling commodity incomes. Number 2. The West's distraction from Ukraine is not accompanied by Moscow's ability to quickly defeat Kiev. That is to quickly destroy its rear and turn the Ukrainian armed forces into masses, into, into masses who are deprived from ammunition, fuel, food, and control. The Russian Federation was unable to mobilize, create a system of military socialism with the GOCO, State Defense Community, And uh, it's not really either to suppress the air defenses of the armed forces of Ukraine with an air offensive campaign, paralysing the enemy's rear, or for a large ground offensive. For this purpose, powerful and prepared reserves, equipped with everything necessary, have not been formed. In return, laxity, a sea of confusion and an inability to jump out of a positional trap. Even the likely resumption of nuclear testing will not help here. Impotence, you know, cannot be treated with plutonium. Personnel decides everything. If Iran can get benefits, then in the case of the Russian Federation, everything is much more sour. The exit from this sucking quagmire uh, to some other position is not even planned. And then, uh, of course, the traditional conspiracy theories from um, Misal Kalashnikov and his buddies, because, of course, he blames the United States for this as well. Why wouldn't he? Even if we assume that the United States itself helped Hamas carry out Budyonovsk, number two, in order to lead to the fall of the government of military general Netanyahu, uh, because he obviously has no idea how the United States foreign relationships work, but whatever, and the establishment of a pro-American regime in Israel, there is also such a conspiracy theory. Uh, There is, he stated that thing, except, you know, in Israel there's already a pretty much pro-American government. It's like in most places, so it's weird. But then he just presumes this is true, thankfully, not himself defends this. Quote, then, if this all is true, then it, then is Moscow benefiting from this that much? No. If this crazy assumption is true, then the new government in Israel will begin, begin supplying Kiev with 155mm shells and drones, which, you see, does not in any way make uh, the situation easier for the Russian Federation. Well, I disagree here with Maxim Kalashnikov, but, you know, I like to have someone from that side who is at least half-decent to argue against me. I think Putin uh, kind of thinks... Well, let's just say this way. Putin definitely thinks he is going to benefit from this somehow. I'm not sure he will, but the idea is that Putin benefits in the sense that Putin believes he's going to benefit from this. And There is a bit of chaos and some weapons deliveries might be delayed and something like that. It all depends on how focused and careful we are everything. But carrying on from Maxim Kalashnikov, because he really has a long and interesting speech this time, quote, For woe to the underdeveloped, Woe to the one who, like a dragonfly, sang the ranks red summer since two thousand without carrying out the industrial revival of the country. Did Stalin say in 1931 that the laggards were being beaten? Stalin, uh, Stalin on the tasks of business, uh, and he then kind of quotes Stalin on the tasks of business executives. Quote, in the history of states, in the history of countries, in the history of armies, there have always been cases where there were all the opportunities for success, for victory, but they, these opportunities, remained in vain, since the leaders did not notice these opportunities, did not know how to take advantage of them, and the army suffered defeat. So, that's that's the sort of idea. He's complaining that there might be some benefit to put in, and I believe that there could be one, but uh, again... It's either something very, very sneaky, or something done by very much trickery, or that's something that uh can't really see immediately. Meanwhile, well, the usual thing happened. Vladimir Putin participated in the plenary session of the Valdai International Discussion Club's 20th annual meeting. By the way, it's also his birthday today, so that's fun. And Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said the president's appearance would be very meaningful and important. In his speech, obviously, Putin criticized the West and its, quote, influence on the world, and discussed his vision for the world order. He's an answer- he then answered some questions, everything on Prigozhin's plane crash, the claims that uh, Russia had betrayed the Armenian people. So I wanted to focus on this, because he had this speech in brief, and he answered some interesting questions, and this might help us understand him slightly better. And this is just in brief over here, because uh, I'm taking the one from Medusa. Instead of the one that's directly posted on the Kremlin's website, because oh boy, I'm not ready to read through all of that nonsense, as it was way too long and um, a lot of empty phrases there. But, you know, thankfully my colleagues at Medusa have somewhat condensed it, so that'll be fine. Quote from his main thesis. When we first met at the International Discussion Club 20 years ago, our country was entering a new phase of its development. We used all our energy and goodwill to engage in the process of building new, as it seemed to us, more just world. Our readiness for constructive cooperation was misunderstood by some as an admission that Russia was ready to follow someone else's path, ready to be guided by someone else's interests. All these years, we have repeatedly warned that such an approach would be fraught with the increased threat of military conflict, but no one wanted to hear us or listen to us. The arrogance of our so-called partners in the West was off the charts. The United States and its satellites embarked on a close course of military, political, economic, cultural, moral, and value-based hegem- hegemony. What's a value-based hegemony? I do not know. The prosperity of the West was achieved by robbing the colonies for centuries. Um, and this, The fact that they do the same, obviously, you know, it goes past way. It's just Moscow totally isn't... I will not even start with the hypocrisy. If you've been listening to this show for such a long for, for a long time enough, you, you probably understand all this all this. Carrying nice. on. The history of the West is essentially a chronicle of endless expansion. To a degree, yes, and now we're up in space too, which is quite nice. There must be, res- be a response to the ever-increasing military and political pressure. Putin uh, says, quote, I have said many times that we didn't start the so-called war in Ukraine. We're trying to end it. The war, which the Kyiv regime started with the direct support of the West, is already its 10th year, while the special military operation is aimed at stopping it. Except it isn't, except there was tons of... Uh, again, I'm not going to debunk everything you know better than me at this point. The Ukrainian crisis is not a territorial conflict. The issue is broader and more fundamental. We are talking about the principles the new world order will be based upon. Well, now, The West always needs an enemy. Russia is Western politicians' favorite topic. The Western elite are trying to make everyone who, at- who acts independently into an enemy, whether it be China, India, Arab countries, or Muslims. The United States imposes its security and economic decisions on Europe. Western colleagues, especially from the United States, instruct others how to behave in very insulting ways. Who are you anyway? If it makes you want to say, open your eyes, the era of colonial rule is long over. Well, he'd actually agree with Mr. Putin, except that he doesn't understand that his country is way much more colonialistic than uh, than everything else, and there was some uh, Q and A questions about this whole situation. He was asked uh, on militarizing the Russian economy, and he res- he responded, "Quote: We've increased defense spending, not just defense but also security spending. It has more or less doubled. It used to be around three percent, now it's around six. It's not true to say that we're overspending on guns and forgot about butter. Yes, you did." I'd like to emphasize that all previously announced development plans, achievements of strategic goals, and the government's social obligations to the population are being fully implemented. Except, of course, that's a blatant lie. But you know, whatever. Then he uh, complains about West military aid uh, to Ukraine, and that you know, as soon as any any of that stops, Ukraine's done. But you know, I don't think it'll, uh, I don't think it'll be kind of uh, done everything, and. Uh, he commented when asked about European Council's President Charles Michel's statement that Russia betrayed the Armenian people. And then he didn't really mention anything much, except to say that stated, they're the ones to talk. We have a saying, it's the pot call- calling the kettle black. And I have a question about whom did European Council betray exactly, but whatever. Then he was asked about Odessa, whether or not it's a Russian city. He responded, well, uh, again, very insensitive in a way to, to everything Odessa is, of course, a Russian city, but it's a bit Jewish, just a tiny bit. I was there, and I can tell you it's more than just a tiny bit of that stuff, so it's a bit weird. But now the really important thing that's that's happening here, because my buddy Evgeny Prigozhin once again, carries on, uh, while doing weird things, even after his death. He was asked about Evgeny Prigozhin's death, of course, and uh, he responded the following, quote, The question of what happened to the head of the private military company is probably in the air. The head of the investigative committee told me the other day that grenade remnants were lodged into the remains of the bodies of those killed in the plane crash. There was no external impact to the jet. It's an established fact resulting from an expert probe conducted by Russia's Federal Investigative Committee. Unfortunately, there was no examination for the presence of alcohol or drugs in the blood of the deceased. Although we know that following certain events, the FSB searched the company office and discovered not just $10 billion in cash, but also 5 kilograms in cocaine. In my opinion, such an examination should have been done, but it wasn't. Now, let me tell you, the examination of uh, if someone dies with their blood, about the the alcohol and everything, yeah, that's the first thing you do. Except that, obviously, uh, really... Nothing exactly ca- came from this, and yeah, you should have done this investigation, but we didn't. Whoopsies! The one time when you actually needed to do this stuff. <laughs> so, coke and hand grenades, isn't it? Kind of, kind of stupid. I mean, this is just insane. And now, well, obviously, we have a reaction, which also is interesting because I want to tie down these ties with Prigozhin. See, Putin's version of everything that killed Prigozhin mirrors what. Telegram channel MASH, was totally pro-Kremlin, and the newspaper Moskovsky-Komsomoylitz, reported the day after the qu- crash, and just, this was widely known. They they were the ones who wrote about careless handling of ammunition, and, and, and all the cocaine and everything. It's just insane. Now, that's the thing. They uh, These Moskovsky-Komsomoylitz stated that, quote, there are strict rules for transporting weapons, the grenades and fuses go separately. Prigozhin and his team knew this, of course, but his security guards always carried their weapons and ammo with them because of the constant threat to Prigozhin's life. In the heat of a fierce argument, maybe, someone, maybe somebody dropped a grenade, then pin fell out, and there was an explosion. This guy speculates. Now, the, the little tiny problem here being that you cannot accidentally throw down a pin from a hand grenade. It simply is not even possible. It's just crazy. Now, a combination of our favorite channels like Greyzone wrote the following quote They're shooting up with their own drugs and blowing up midair. Commenting on this is only going to make things worse. According to the president's version of events, Prigozhin and Nutkin, while either drunk or high, accidentally detonated the hand grenade which caused the crash. This everyone is just crazy angry about this in comments. Pro invasion channel Southern Front wrote the following. They write that they found five kilos of coke when searching Pregosian's office. As if the entire Wagner group got high on this stuff. It's fucking sickening. Your Russians either either speak well of the dead or not at all. And this is just nonsense. You never know who might forget, but I'll remind you that two heroes of great Russia died in this plane crash. These weren't junkies. And they knew their weapons better than their own fucking dicks. The story about them blowing themselves up is a joke and a farce. And, well, obviously, here is uh, our friend Maxim Kalashnikov. Well, now everything's clear. Two uh, assholes, Prigozhin and Lutkin here, were playing with a grenade in a fight, and they pulled the pit or something. True, there was no examination to determine the content of alcohol and drugs in their bodies, although uh, any detective or investigator, even in the wild 90s, would have done this. First thing. Now, the thing is, with with all these other things that happened, with, with all this statement, and what, what's going on there, the problem is that... Uh, did you know, a little interesting thing here. Just a just just a just a tiny thing that I, I it keeps nagging me. No one at all really goes hard on criticizing Putin. No one says no one really says much about about that well, except Maxim Kalashnikov, but he always does that. I highly, you know, I I'm kind of surprised that he himself hasn't been arrested as uh, Igor Girkin has. But that's a mess. That's just a mess that uh, they <laughs> that they basically just carry on, and they haven't really done a lot of a uh, lot of situation here. However, well, we have a bunch of bunch of weird situations here about everything that's that's going on, and well, I kind of think that might be tied together with the events in uh, Israel as well. Because, I, like I said, I don't think Putin organized this, but he's trying to get some benefits out of the situation. I wonder how he didn't make more anti-Semitic comments knowing that he did so way before. And Now, to put everything else in the context, there was an Igor Gidkin letter that I missed. I mean, seriously, I, do, I read those, but I somehow missed this one, and I read it today. And I hadn't put it on... Um, I hadn't put on this one, I only put one about Karabakh, but I hadn't really mentioned this one, so I'll uh, put this one in, in full, because once again, hey, something new from, well, our best nemesis, Igor Gürkin himself. Oh yeah, but before I do that, thank you to everyone who's our Patreon of our show. If you would like uh, to support the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash easternborder and, you know, becoming our patron. And you can also join our Discord, that's not for patrons, just for everyone or if you'd like to just support the show with a one-time donation, you can just go to the easternborder.lv and click the donate button there. Note that in the easternborder.lv site and for my Patreons, all the shows come out without any ads. That is, well, without those little things that ACOS likes to stuff in there, which, you know, some people might find annoying. So, hey, it would be better for you if you just go and listen that there and support the show because I'm not a huge fan of my old ads as well. This came, by the way, um, the letter, which I'm going to read to you now, because I still don't know much about uh, much about the whole monetizing thing. But the letter that I missed was how Putin, sorry, how Gierkin on 29th of September, analyzed the situation, the political one, and his situation with the France and everything. And uh, well, the reason why he wrote this was because of. Uh, Putin's meeting with Yevkurov and Troshev and the statement of the Defense Ministry that the Defense Ministry has no plans for mobilization activities. And, uh, well, additionally, this was written to the point where Girkin thought that the United States' assistance to maintain uh, maintain Ukrainian combat capability would be kind of lowered, and that, that he noticed a narrowing and changing the directions of Ukrainian attacks, shifting efforts from areas where strategic successes were possible theoretically, such as Meliopold, Milyop- Medyatopol, Berdiansk, Mariupol, to and and everything. Quote, the situation on the front at the moment is a strategic stalemate. Ukraine is unable to regain the lost territories with its own forces, while the Russian Federation is unable to clear the DNR, Kherson, and Zaporozhye regions from the Ukrainians. Actions of the Russian Federation The Kremlin has decided with 99% probability to freeze the war until the elections, i.e. until March 2024 no actions related to a significant strengthening of the Russian Federation armed forces capable of seriously aggravating the social, economic, and domestic political situation in the country will be taken up until spring. The armed forces will continue their strategic defense on plus or minus existing borders, having as its only task to prevent the deep breakthroughs or sensitive operational successes of the enemy. The question of what will be the strategy for the next spring-summer campaign was put aside in a a box of long-term problems. Perhaps in the hope of some events in the Ukrainian camp, which will ease the foreign policy, which will ease the foreign policy of the Russian Federation. You know, but if Trump succeeds or the like. That's what Gidkin says. And uh, he is commenting now on on everything about U.S. and NATO. I can easily skip that part, really, because again, uh, he really wrote this at the point where everyone thought that United States will be basically just uh, quite doing everything. That needs to be done. Needs to be done. And uh, the part from this that I want to read is, is the following quote: "The United States is more than satisfied with the continuation of a sluggish war with no preponderance on, on either side. The, the, the Russian Federation, Putin, is not ready to put everything on the line. Awesome. That's the way we planned it. Let well, him weaken little by little. Then we won't be in a hurry. It's this position that explains the significant reduction in the amount of aid to Ukraine. Well, that didn't happen. So, that's uh, that's nice." However, again, he just shows the real fear that these pros and war patriots have with um, the whole war situation and how they feel that things are going to go. Quote, I assume that a major military success in Ukraine, which he puts in air quotes, seems unnecessary and even maybe dangerous for the United States right now because it may provoke the Kremlin to raise the degree of confrontation and any decisive actions in preparation for the liquidation of Ukraine itself because he thinks Americans want to destroy Ukraine in general. And here he's mistaken, as he's been sitting in the prison for such a long time. No, Russia cannot increase the, increase anything at this point. They can maybe sort of maintain what they have, but an increase seems to be very unlikely. And we have getting gone from what he writes. And this may be in the long run uh, affecting the situation in the United States and NATO itself, for which Washington is not ready now. Therefore, the logic is as follows. We will feed Ukraine a little at a time, without scaring Putin, who is still relatively firmly seated and in control of the situation. We will give him the impression that we are close to surrendering Ukraine and are tired of war. When the time comes, we can easily ramp up supplies in a matter of weeks, while the Russians would need many months of preparation for a full-scale offensive. I believe the United States position is being lobbied covertly and overtly in the Kremlin by numerous supporters of reconciliation at any cost, i.e. surrender. All of them have stayed where they are. The official propaganda screams to the population of the Russian Federation that there will be no personal changes before and after the elections. And, given the current uh, situation, they should not be expected from the word to go. And then he draws some conclusions. The Kremlin has completely lost, or even deliberately ceded, its foreign policy initiative, and it's waiting for the weather, as it allows VIP officials to take it easy, or do nothing at all, which they do masterfully. In the United States, NATO is in no hurry to go anywhere, and no one is interested in the option of so-called Ukraine, for the coming months, probably probably for the fall-winter campaign, Girkin here predicts position battles without significant changes in the strategic situation. Individual operations are possible on both sides for propaganda purposes. <laughs> About, you know, he just explains how, you know, Russian Federation can state that they're advancing and that Ukrainians can claim that they've gained some stuff, but not much else, according to Girkin. Mutual exchange of blows on rear areas and infrastructures will continue and will increase. Extension depends only on the scale of munitions productions in the Russian Federation and on receiving them from NATO for Ukraine. Bloody pull push, about which, as the main danger I warned since the fall of 2014, has become our non-alternative reality. Unless a miracle happens, it will almost inevitably lead Russia to disaster and disintegration, in whole or in part. The reluctance of the Russian authorities to fight for real is understandable and justified as it poses a threat to their power, which was clearly demonstrated by the so-called Prigozhin Rebellion. However, swimming downstream will eventually lead, almost inevitably, to the same deplorable result, but already without options. And then, along with the collapse of the state, VIP elites will lose not only power and money, but also their lives. If not all of them, then very, very many of them, however. They do not believe in such a thing from the word absolutely. In the internal political aspect, I predict a gradual strengthening of oppression against all those who do not keep up with the party, and it does not matter from which camp. Until the elections, they will try to disguise it. After Putin's yet another triumphant victory, it can't be otherwise this time. Variations are possible, although we can't expect a brutal dictatorship either. Putin is not good at it, as he can do absolutely nothing more than, you know, half measures. And of course, I do not, Gyrkin that is, do not take into account quite possible black swan events, which can radically change the picture in a matter of days, or even in hours, as it was in June. This was written, by the way, the day before the 40th anniversary of the murder of Prigozhin and Utkin. Now that is a Black Swan event. It's in Israel, but Israel seems to be doing quite well and fixing everything fine. However, this is getting scary. more and more conflicts happening all over the place, more and more conflicts in the world, and well, more and more ruthlessness. I'm afraid that we're getting we're getting this being like normalized, this has been entrenched into into our culture and in our understanding to the point where it's hard to even Remember and comprehend how this was like before. It's a bit sad, to be honest. there's not much that we can do about all the situation. Sadly, once again, I do have to say that uh, this is going to be one of those decades that we that we just must somehow endure and keep informed. But like I said, you know, I'll be doing my best, and I'll be also doing as much of historical episodes this year as I can just to get my brain in order be more healthy, so that should be fine. That's it for today. До свидания, товарищи. And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory.